This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Subscribe to Without Warning Season 3, Investigation Derailed, on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Thursday, January 17, 2008, was one of the worst days of Vicki Hall's life. So much had happened in just one day, less than a whole day, really. She had been awakened in the middle of the night and told that Katie and River had disappeared. Vicki couldn't make sense of the strange stories Katie's husband, Aaron, had told her. He bounced from talking about how Katie had become paranoid, convinced that she needed to leave her home with her baby and flee from some unknown evil that had been stalking her to conspiracy theories about the Twin Towers. Even though it was so hard to believe, Vicki had known Aaron for almost 10 years. She had never known him to lie to her, and she trusted him completely. It did not occur to her to question or doubt what Aaron was telling her. Her only focus at that moment was to find Katie and River. Vicki led a fruitless search for them that ended in heartache when their bodies were found, Katie next to a railroad track and rivers in a nearby pond. Here is Vicki describing the events of the morning. Okay, so I get there and I go to the front door and I'm sure I knocked and rang the doorbell or whatever. No answer. So I got the key. So I go ahead and I know I unlocked the door, yep. I unlock the door, go through the house, Aaron, Aaron, no answer. I go to the garage, you know, I go through the kitchen, through the laundry, open the garage door, Aaron, nothing. I can't find Aaron. So I just go back outside. I don't know. I don't think I went upstairs. I went back outside and I go over to Jesse's truck and Aaron's in there sleeping. He's sleeping. And so, and I, you know, got him to wake up, but his eyes, I'll never forget, his eyes are pure yellow. Not red, but yellow. Very, very yellow. And, you know, then I seen him take the Advil later in front of me. So I'm wondering if he wasn't taking a lot of painkillers for his hand or something, because his eyes were just yellow, not red, like he hadn't slept, but yellow. But then we leave, you know, we leave. And he ends up just coming in my truck for whatever reason. I can't remember. I think I had him, I had him drive to Bilo, the little grocery store not far away, and meet me there. I said, meet me there and we'll get in one truck and drive through hotels in Monk's Corner. I said, I want you to show me where you went and, you know, what hotels. And I just had him go with me through Monk's Corner. So we did that. And that's when I'm noticing 
he's right away, you know, cause I know I am intense. I'm, I'm looking for Katie and river and I'm, you know, all the cars coming as I'm driving, I'm looking, is any of them Katie? I'm going through the hotel parking lots. You know, I'm looking and I keep seeing Aaron, you know, even out of the corner of my eye, he keeps wanting to talk, but I'm like, why is he not looking? You know, he wasn't looking, you know. So we weren't gone real long, you know, just the two hotels in Monk's Corner. And I think we were fixing to go to Goose Creek or I don't remember exactly where we were fixing to go. And I get a call from Sarah and she said, Mom, I'm scared. You got to come get me. The plan was for Vicki and Aaron to go their separate ways and cover more ground looking for Katie and River. Vicki gets a call from Aaron. He said he had heard about a train accident on the radio. Here is Vicki describing the phone call. So Aaron called me back and wanted to know what the police are doing. That's what his question was. You know, so what are the police doing? I said, well, I'm waiting here. I was told to wait here and that the police would be coming to talk to me because Aaron is the one that told me they were dead. The police hadn't even told me yet. All I told him is I found Katie's truck. And he said, I know, I know. I just heard on the radio that a woman and small child were found dead. He never asked any questions. He didn't say, Vicki, what does your truck look like? Vicki, where are you at exactly? Nothing, you know, nothing of what am I seeing? You know, no, no emotion either, because I had to call Katie's dad, Katie's brother, Jeremy. And they're like screaming and hollering and, oh, my God, somebody come get me. Katie's dad said, I can't drive. I mean, they are so emotional. And Aaron's just like, calm, you know, no questions. You know, it was just night and day. But why wouldn't he rush to the scene and hope that it was not his wife and child who had been in a horrible accident? Why wasn't he frantic? And what about the strange conversation Vicky had with Aaron's mother? Katie and River were dead, along with Katie's unborn son, Aiden. And Rhonda was telling Vicky not to talk to the police on the advice of her pastor. It was all so confusing, all about the conspiracy theories and the Antichrist. But what did that have to do with Katie's death? Why shouldn't the police know everything so they could figure out what had happened? Vicki wondered why the majors didn't seem shocked or upset that their son's wife, daughter, and unborn son were all gone. The very next day, Vicki went to Katie's house where she discovered Aaron's mother cleaning. The master bedroom was in disarray, with drawers pulled out and clothes strewn about. Aaron claimed that he had done that looking for something to bury Katie in. So then I go in the bedroom, in Katie and Aaron's bedroom, and he follows me. And then I saw Katie's dresser with a lot of clothes half pulled out and still hanging in the dresser, some on the floor. Um, and I said, Aaron, I thought you told me there was no fight. You know, why, are, why is this room in such disarray? 
And he said, I just did that picking out something for her to be buried in, which I knew he was lying because Sarah had told me it was like that. And the black dress he picked out was already downstairs and would have came out of the closet, not out of her drawers. So I knew he was lying to me, you know, and I'm like, and then I see the Bible and it's open and that's, and I looked and it's about Abraham's son, firstborn son being sacrificed. And I looked at it and I said, Aaron, why is this open on here? Whose Bible is this? And he said, it's my grandfather's Bible, but Katie had this opened up here, is what he said. And then I look in the bathroom and the drawers are all open. Like someone was hurrying up and grabbing stuff to leave. Um, and it, to me, it looked like someone was either hurrying up and packing to leave or, but it wasn't normal. You know, I don't think Aaron's mom got into the master bedroom yet to clean up in there. And then as I'm coming out of the bathroom, I see a black shirt laying on the floor. And my husband, Katie's dad, had told me she was wearing a black shirt that day he saw her. So I actually picked it up and, and took that with me too. But the room that was cleaned and clean spotless was Riverland's bathroom. Who do you think cleaned it? Aaron, do you think he cleaned it? Yes, I go upstairs and I go to Riverland's bathroom, <clears throat> which is straight ahead. And I just was surprised to see it completely cleaned and nothing, nothing in it at all. And someone had cleaned it spotless and nothing was left in it. No toys, no clothes. I don't remember any pictures or anything. Everything was gone, like it's never used. No, I can't see Aaron cleaning it because his mom was downstairs cleaning, but I don't know for a fact who cleaned it. Vicki also noticed that the strange pile of papers with highlighted passages were gone. Aaron had admitted to Vicki that those were his papers. Usually so quiet, Aaron casually remarked to Vicki, Isn't it odd that Katie thought that someone was going to kill her and someone did? We know that he originally, because he said it to me, Vicki, isn't it so odd that Katie thought somebody was going to kill her and somebody did. But then I have his mother tell me not to talk to the police and Aaron was making no effort to, you know, search all this time and, and get answers like Katie's family was, including myself. What in the world did he mean by that? If he thought someone had killed his family why wasn't he helping the police to find that person instead of sitting at home watching his mother tidy up his messes? Later that same strange day, the coroner and police announced that they believe Katie committed suicide due to postpartum depression. But the only person who was claiming that Katie was depressed was Aaron. 
they hadn't talked to Katie's OBGYN who had just examined her, who would later state that she hadn't seen any hint of postpartum depression at Katie's visit. They hadn't asked her mother how Katie was when she last talked to her mere hours before Aaron said she left their house. It seemed they based their conclusion largely on Aaron's description of Katie's action and a strange note found in her pocket. More about the note later. The police took Aaron to the station to give a statement. He claimed that he was simply too upset to write it himself. He began dictating to an officer how the day before, Katie had come to his work site, telling him she didn't want to be home alone because she was afraid that someone was after her. He told her he couldn't quit working right then. Katie left but returned multiple times asking him to leave town with her. That seemed strange, since they already had a trip out of town planned for the weekend. It had been a Christmas present from Aaron's parents, a getaway before the new baby came, and it would give Rhonda a chance to watch River. But for some reason, Katie didn't want to leave River with Aaron's mother and said they would take River with them. According to Vicki, Rhonda was not happy. Yes, I was babysitting River for her so that when she went and got the ultrasound, I had River. And when she came back, she told me she was having a boy. So I was with Katie that day when she found out she was having a boy the day before they died. It was my suggestion. I said, Katie, why don't you call Rhonda? And so she doesn't feel left out because there was some friction there. I said, call her and tell her you're having a boy. So she used my phone standing right next to me. So I heard the whole conversation. And it didn't go as expected or planned. So Katie calls Rhonda and tells her she's having a boy. And we were excited, you know, and we expected Rhonda to be excited. And Rhonda said, oh, I was hoping for a girl. And we were really shocked and looked at each other, me and Katie, because we're like, Aaron is the last major. There's no other majors to carry on the name. And we just thought it was so important that they would think that here's coming a, a little boy that can carry on the major name. And that's why we were just shocked. Katie wanted a girl or a boy, but a boy was going to be that much more important to carry on Aaron's name that Katie had a son. And we were really shocked when she said, oh, I was hoping for a girl. There was no explanation. Me and Katie just looked at each other like with our mouths open. But then Rhonda brought up the vacation that they were supposed to be going on. And Katie told her she wasn't going. And Rhonda said, was arguing with her. Well, I already got the crib and yeah, you all are going. And Katie said, no, I'm not going. I don't want to go and I'm going to stay and I want to vote. I didn't realize the election was. I think Saturday and Katie was making excuses to her too, to be polite. You know, I'm staying here. I'm not going, I'm going to vote on Saturday. It was the primary election and Rhonda kept arguing. And I just went like this to Katie, you know, with my hand, cut it off. And I said, just get off the phone. Cause I was shocked how this was going. And so Katie got off the phone with her and I said, we're not going to let her ruin our fun and excitement. And we just kind of dropped it and 
stayed excited and happy. I think the reason Katie didn't want to leave River with Rhonda is because Rhonda was so controlling with her, with Katie. Um, Katie just wasn't real comfortable with Rhonda. And when he was giving his statement to the police, Aaron told them that he let Katie know she wasn't making any sense and she was scaring him. Didn't she understand that he couldn't just leave with his work unfinished? But if your pregnant wife is acting in a way you've never seen her behave before and you work for her family business, why wouldn't you call a member of her family and ask for help with the situation? He says when he was finally done working, he and Katie left together and went to her parents' house, not stopping to visit, but just to pick up his vehicle. He says that when they both went home and that once they arrived, Katie continued to insist on leaving immediately. He convinced her to let him take care of a payroll issue and to take a shower first. Curious, I asked Vicki who handled the payroll. Katie did the payroll. They had QuickBooks. And I'm the one that trained Katie how to do QuickBooks and how to do payroll with the QuickBooks. Um, so I know that Aaron didn't do payroll. Katie did the payroll. And after Katie and River died, I know that Aaron went to the accountant twice with his mother, by the way, his mother's with him, and had asked and if she could train him how to do payroll because he didn't know how to do it and he couldn't do his payroll for his employee. But according to the computer records that Jessica, the PI, found for the morning of January 16th, 2008, Katie did payroll in the morning. Aaron next describes how Katie told him that she would make River a bottle while he took a shower. Aaron says he got into the shower and soon thought he heard Katie's truck start up. Even though he had been concerned about her behavior, he thought he convinced her that they would soon leave together. So he took the time to finish his shower. When he was done, he looked out their bedroom window and saw that her truck was gone. Aaron put the time around 8 p.m., which in January would have meant it was full dark outside. Between eight and nine, somewhere when I first left the house, I guess, somewhere. And, um, so I don't know. It might have been, I'm just guessing, between nine and ten, you know, okay. when I got back. I mean, I wasn't gone very long because I just got out there and I was like, figured she's going to be back, you know. So I went back, took care of my stuff. I started looking over some of the stuff she had been, you know, trying to remember some of the stuff she had shown me on the internet to try to figure out what's going on, you know. I, I looked at that for several hours, probably just trying to figure out what had happened. And uh, when she hadn't been back after a couple of hours, that's when I was like, okay. I, I didn't know what was going on because this is just completely abnormal for her. So I went out and drove around again. And this time I just, I kind of, I went everywhere that I could think of around the area except for North Charleston because she hates North Charleston, and to her, North Charleston's kind of like the scary 
ghetto area, I guess. So I know she wasn't going to get a hotel down there when she's scared. So mm-hmm. I went to, I went down through Goose Creek around back. I didn't even, I don't, I'm not real super familiar with Somerville. So I went through Ladson and tried to kind of make a big swoop through Somerville back 17A and that area. I found all them hotels there at the interstate, drove around all of them trying to find a truck. Drove around all the hotels I could find in Goose Creek prior to that. Um, and I just, you know, came back 17A, Cypress Garners Road and all that. Checked anything I could think of in those main, you know, this area surrounding. Figuring she's going to be at a hotel because she just doesn't want to be here. So, and then I went back to the house because I thought she'd be there. I was thinking she's going to be there, you know, because and she, when she wasn't there, that's when I went down to the hall's house directly and I woke them up. He says he got dressed and drove around checking the parking lots of local hotels looking for her for about 45 minutes. Then he returned home, hoping she would be there. But of course, she wasn't. The police didn't challenge anything Aaron said about what he did that night, but took all of his statement at face value. Okay, let's pause here for a moment. Aaron said that Katie was acting very strangely, that she was paranoid to the point that he told her she was scaring him. Then his pregnant wife supposedly left with their infant daughter rather than wait for him to finish his shower and payroll. It was cold, dark, and icy that night. He knew she didn't have her glasses with her. So why is he being the Lone Ranger in search for her? He hasn't called the police. He hasn't called his friends. He hasn't called her family. He hasn't called his family, not that he mentions anyway. In his own words, he just checks random hotels for 45 minutes. Let's check how many hotels there were in Monk's Corner at that time. Today, I believe there are two. 45 minutes to check the parking lot of two hotels? Then waits several hours hoping she'd come home. How many hotels are in Monk's Corner? Two. Back in 2008? Yes, there was two hotels in Monk's Corner in 2008, and Aaron says it would be like looking in a needle in a haystack. There's two hotels. There's um, two hotels in Goose Creek. You know, there's like there was like four hotels in Somerville. This wasn't looking a needle in a haystack. Now we all react differently in difficult situations. But he just doesn't seem as worried as he said he was, or as worried as you and I probably would be. And there is no one who can verify what he says he's doing during that time. And consider this. Katie's phone was broken, so it wouldn't have helped to call her. Yet phone records later provided to the family's private investigator showed that he did call her broken phone at 12.23 a.m. on the 17th. 
She hadn't had a working phone for nearly a month. She was pregnant, and she would usually have their infant daughter with her as she ran errands. Why wouldn't he want her to have a working phone in case she had car trouble or an emergency of some sort? Aaron went on to tell the police that he then drove to Somerville and Goose Creek over an hour's round trip, just looking at hotel parking lots for Katie's truck. At 12.51 a.m. and 1.03 a.m., he called his own home phone, either hoping she was back or perhaps to talk to someone else who might have been there. He then guessed that he finally went to the halls between midnight and 1 a.m., but actually the call saying he was outside and needed to talk to them was made about 1.44 a.m. Let's think about what he says to Katie's parents, or rather what he doesn't say. He doesn't ask them if they've seen or heard from Katie. He begins to talk about her paranoia, which doesn't seem right to Vicki, She just talked to Katie only hours before and everything was fine. She found out she was having a baby boy and was so happy. He said that Katie thought someone was coming to kill her. And in her paranoia, she just took off with River. How can what Aaron is saying be true? After Aaron finished his ramblings, he says he went home. Seven or eight. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so you went to the halls. And I told them all of this conspiracy stuff and everything that I could try to explain to them. <clears throat> you know. And, you know, we, we figured that she was going to be back in. And, uh, uh, we just were kind of waiting for her to check we checked out uh we were gonna check hotels the next day and stuff you know because we figured she's just i don't know we didn't really know you know we're trying to sit down and just figure out what she would have done you know so i I don't know i'm not even sure what time i left there we were there for a while uh it's kind of i don't know it's kind of blurry (laughs) um wednesday um I think I went to bed. I slept for about an hour and I got up at 5.45 again to start the day. So I, mean, I was I was out their house for a little while and I waited up for a while. I tried to wait up for a while because I was waiting on her, you know. Um, slept for about an hour, woke up, she still wasn't there and I was really worried. That this was the next day? Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. That morning. Um... So I was just going to, Jeff called me and was asking me if, you know, I wanted to go look for her. And I said, yeah. So I was going to set my employee up to, so we get something done today. Aaron convinced Katie's parents not to call the police to help him look for them. Amazingly, Aaron did get some sleep that night. However, he did wake up a couple of hours later and decided to check an envelope where he and Katie kept large amounts of cash. It was gone. At that point, he says he got worried. Okay, it was that point that Aaron said he got worried. 
Yes, I remember hearing him say that. I knew she wasn't coming back. I think it's when he decides he finds the money in the morning. But if you hear all of his different statements, sometimes he finds the money, you know, earlier, some that she took it. Sometimes he sees her take the money and run. But yeah, he knew she wasn't coming back because he, in my opinion, he knew what he did. The officer writing the statement recorded that Aaron said, I knew she wasn't coming back. Don't you think he should have been worried long before then? None of the behavior he was describing was typical for the Katie that everyone else knew. Katie was a warm, bubbly person who was always quick to smile. The Katie that was the oldest child who was a nurturer, always helping her younger siblings. Here is Vicki describing the next morning. I want to say I was talking to him outside here by 7 a.m. He came to your house? Yes. He was in the driveway because he had set his employee up to go to work. All the guys were out there. And then I I started giving Aaron orders. You're going to do this and you're going to do this and you're going to drive Jesse's truck. And, you know, I just I told myself, I don't care what he says anymore. I don't. I don't care if he doesn't want me bossing him around. I'm bossing him around this morning. I told him that he's going to take Jesse's truck, my son's truck, because now, you know, his worker is taking his truck. So he wouldn't have a vehicle. I said, you're taking Jesse's truck. I'm going to be in my truck and I'm going to have Sarah at your house and I'm going to have Jesse here in case she comes. We'll know because her phone's broken. You know, I didn't. Um, I didn't know whether she had her phone on or not, but I knew it was broken. And so I told him, you know, I'll, you take Jesse's truck and I'll meet you at your house. So he leaves and he calls me after he gets home. And he said, Vicki, I've locked myself out of the house. You guys can't come down here. I'll just meet you somewhere. You know, he's trying to make excuses for me not to go to his house and have Sarah there. And I said, Aaron, I said, where's the key? He said, it's on Biggie's key ring, his worker. I said, well, you tell Biggie, Biggie, Derek, to drive to Goose Creek and meet me at the gas station at the Sunco gas station. So that's what I did is I had, you know, I drove to Goose Creek first, got the key from Biggie and then drove to Aaron's house. I think the question is, why didn't Aaron head there himself instead of sending Vicky? His statement says he did not turn around until Vicki called him to tell him she had found Katie's truck. After he got off the phone with Vicki, he called his mother. A few minutes later, he called Vicki back, and all he wanted to know was what the police were doing. He doesn't say, What about Katie? Do you see Katie? Where's River? Is it them? All he says is, What are the police doing? And what about that note? It was written on a scratch piece of paper. There were just phrases here and there, and they didn't make much sense. It seemed to have been Katie who wrote it, a jumbled mess of strange ideas. The note says that the Antichrist could be a woman, but then again, it could be Barack Obama. Halloween is either a day to kill virgin babies or Jesus' birthday, or maybe even both. 
It mentions a one-world currency, one-world banking system, and one-world provider of goods. It seemed, as many people have claimed for years, Walmart really would take over all shopping outlets. The note said that schools were only a means to control people and credit cards gave us all a mark of the beast as predicted in the book of Revelation. It ended with a strange question of why. If there were no terrorists, would anyone need to put a bug on a phone? Taken together, it just sounded crazy. Maybe Katie's mind had been filling up with paranoid ideas. Had she been searching the internet for answers? Or had she been writing down the searches she could see had been done on the family computer? It was too soon to know for sure because of the days and weeks to come, Aaron's memory of what Katie said and did would shift. Okay, the note found in her pocket was a worksheet that Katie's dad faxed to Aaron and Katie's house, but he faxed the wrong one. So it was supposed to go to Jeremy, Katie's brother, but it went to Aaron's fax. So I'm sure it was just laying on the desk in there. It was ended up being basically a scrap piece of paper because so they got Jeremy's instead of Aaron's. So they refaxed it to Jeremy, but then they had the, still had the extra piece of paper. And that was dated Tuesday, January 15th. So they had phrases that didn't make a lot of sense on it. It appears that Katie wrote it. Is that it appears the best that, you know, I can tell I see some letters that seem to be the same. I think it was the T. Um, but it's never been expertly analyzed. But to me, there were some letters in there that looked to be Katie's. Okay. And then the note says that the Antichrist could be a woman. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen the note, Vicki? Yes. Okay. I've, I have seen it. Yes. I haven't seen the original, but I've seen the duplicates of what we have on record. Yes. Okay. So it said, the note says that the Antichrist could be a woman. Mm-hmm but then it could be Barack Obama. Okay. And then it says Halloween is either a day to kill virgin babies or Jesus's birthday, or maybe even both. Mm-hmm. Then it says it mentions a one world currency, one, one world banking system and a one world provider of goods. Mm-hmm. It seemed that as many people had claimed for years, Walmart really could be taking over the world, according to this note. Walmart really would take over all shopping outlets. Okay. The note says that schools were also a means to control people, and credit cards gave us all marks of the beast as predicted in the book of Revelation. Okay, so that's actually on the note, all of that. Yeah, uh, the book of Revelation. I didn't see that. I don't remember seeing where. I just seen pieces of it. I don't know that I very familiar to what I know is on the note. Yes. And then it ended with a strange question of why, if there are no terrorists, would anyone need to put a bug on a phone? We need to talk about this note. Right. So you've seen the note. Yeah. And did it look like 
it was a worksheet. Did it look like a uh, scratch piece of paper, just writing things down? What did it appear to you? When I first saw it, it appeared to be, you know, just a, it's an eight by 10 piece of paper. Um, I didn't originally know that it came from the worksheet. It was someone that helped me, you know, see, and we found the date. It was Tuesday, January 15th. Did I know what it was? I knew it was the stuff that Aaron was talking about, you know, similar to what Aaron was talking about. And then when Jessica came on board, going on the Jeremiah Project and getting into the archives of Jeremiah Project topics, we realized there's actually, that's how they titled their sites like that. And then we realized when you go in the Jeremiah Project, which was one that Aaron kept talking about, if you click on any of their pages, it keeps a log of each page you click on. So when you go back in, you can just scroll down separate. It's a separate log, different than Google or Chrome. It's right on their website. We found that very interesting. You know, it just seemed to really be titles of Jeremiah Projects. And, you know, that was one site that Aaron kept talking about was a Jeremiah Project. Do you think that Katie could have been searching for answers or do you think Aaron was searching for answers? As far as the note? Here's what I'm wondering. Mm -hmm. She's writing down the titles that Aaron is reading. Mm -hmm. Could that be possible? I believe that she may have been writing down the titles or, I mean, I have a few things I do that make sense. It makes sense to me that they come off of this site. Or is she sitting next to Aaron and he's rambling this? She's sitting next to him at the computer and she's just jogging down the titles that he's telling her to read, you know, or sitting next to him because they are in, they're just almost like notes being scribbled down. And if he's trying to tell her all this stuff and obsessed with it and she's, you know, sitting next to him and she's taking notes, kind of like I did with him the night he came here after they were dead. I did the same thing in my Bible because pretending I was interested and I'm writing notes of all the websites he's talking about. You know, I kind of did that with him, trying to appease him that, yeah, I'm interested, but, you know, I'm just trying to get information on what he's talking about to share it with somebody else. Do we know the period of time he was looking at those things? From what Jessica told me on her research of the computer, it just started on that Saturday before. And which I find that interesting because I was there Thursday night before they died. And Katie had made a seven course meal. She made a special potato salad out of ranch dressing that was new and it was really good and chicken bog and dessert. And as I'm there picking it up, Aaron had that strange look in his eye. And I thought he was mad because I'm getting food because I knew he didn't want to share food with us. Katie had told me that. But he's making coffee and he's scrubbing the coffee pot first with a weird look in his eye. And he made coffee and walked away. And, you know, so I knew he's staying up. If you're making coffee at five, six at night, you're staying up. And I asked Katie, I guess that was my first red flag was that night of, you know, something just saying right with Aaron. I said, you're not drinking coffee, are you? Because neither of them drink coffee. And she said, no, but Aaron's, you know, on this coffee kick. He wants me to buy all different flavors 
She said, so I'm tasting the flavors, but that's it. He's drinking the coffee. So, you know, if he's drinking coffee all of a sudden and then staying up reading on this computer and getting it in his head and listening to that same station, by the way, that has all this stuff at night, which I've heard they have almost very dangerous talk at night on this 94.3, gets even deeper than during the day. You know, Glenn Beck during the day is okay, Rush Limbo, but I guess there's some, some topics like what he was searching on the computer. Conspiracy theories at night. On Saturday, two days after Katie and Rivers' death, the Hall and Major family gathered at the Dial Murray Funeral Home to meet with funeral director Shelley Cooper. Miss Cooper was asking the usual questions that funeral directors have to ask and was making sure to get all the information she needed when the meeting was interrupted by a phone call. It was the coroner calling with Katie's official time of death. Suddenly, Aaron is pale and couldn't remember Katie's birthday when asked. He also couldn't recall what they were planning on naming their unborn son. Oddly, he mentions he does remember accidentally checking a box on some paperwork. Here is Vicki recalling that horrible day. It looked like Aaron saw a ghost after that phone call came from the coroner saying that they have the exact time of death, but they didn't announce what time of death it was. Shelly, the funeral director, said that was the coroner, and he just called it the exact time of death for Katie. Look at Aaron. You know, we're all just okay with it. Okay, great. And I look at him and he looked like he saw a ghost. He had no color left in him. And then he had been answering questions, all of the questions up to that point. Shelly was asking him, you know, addresses, you know, names. And all of a sudden he can't answer anything. She's like, okay, let's continue this on. What's Katie's date of birth and or her birthday? And he's like, you don't know. He's just like, you know, he's just still all pale. Might have asked, what's Aiden's name going to be? The baby. Didn't know that. And then he just kind of scoots back and excused himself. I don't even know if he just left and his dad went after him. And that was it. He never answered any more questions. We had to finish the answering everything. So in between that time, though, when did he bring up the uh, accidentally checking the box. That's before that. Um, when we first sat, sat down, they got in there late because they were researching postpartum depression, they said. So they were late. And they handed me papers they had printed on postpartum depression that I'm supposed to read. So, yes, yeah, so, you know, we started talking and, you know, we were there to make funeral arrangements. And Shelly Cooper started, I can't remember if it was about, you know, two caskets or one casket. So the cost of the funeral came up and Katie's dad offered to pay for half. And Aaron said, no, you won't need to do that. Um, I accidentally checked a box when I got life insurance and I have $10,000 worth of life insurance on River. Did that surprise you? Yeah, it was surprised me in the fact that he said he accidentally checked a box because Katie had called me and told me he was wanting to get life insurance. 
on him and River and her. So I wasn't totally surprised because Katie had said, Mom, you know, what do you think? And I, you know, surprised about it and wanted my advice. So I was surprised that he said he accidentally checked a box when I already knew about it, him wanting to get life insurance. And how would you know you accidentally checked a box so soon? So yes, me and Katie's dad talked about that after we left is accidentally checked a box. So much had happened so fast. She barely had time to wrap her mind around it all and begin to grieve. Suddenly, Aaron comes back into the room, but he's not returning to help pick out a coffin to bury his family in. Without a word to anyone, he drops to the floor, lays on his stomach, and starts spinning in a circle, clockwise, like some giant, out-of-control wind-up toy. His father joins in the strange act and sits on him and announces that Aaron must have broken his hand. They would later claim that Aaron punched a wall at the funeral home, but Vicky knew she had seen his hand swollen when they were looking for Katie and River, before they knew that they and Aiden were dead. Aaron's parents whisk him away to the hospital, and Vicki would later learn that not only would Aaron be diagnosed with a broken hand, but a concussion as well. But how do you get a concussion from punching a wall? They would later claim that Aaron punched a wall at the funeral home, but Vicky knew she had seen his hand swollen when they were still looking for Katie and River before they knew that they and Aiden were dead. With the majors all off to the hospital, Vicky and Katie's dad, Jeff, were able to choose a burial plot for Katie and her babies. They chose for them to rest under a beautiful oak tree. All that would be left would be to get them through the viewing and the funeral. It would be hard, unbelievably hard. But Vicky thought surely Aaron's puzzling and shocking behavior would be behind them. She was so very wrong. There are multiple sides to what happened to Katie and her babies. I am telling Vicki Hall's side. I welcome any of the majors to reach out to me and tell me their side. Without Warning Podcast presents Season 3, Investigation Derailed. Executive Director, Executive Producer, and Host, Sheila Waisaki. Mix and Mastering by Junto Media Production. And Announcer, Tim Evans. 